Welcome to the Compete Every Day podcast, a weekly show to help you harness the power of competition to be better than yesterday. Hear each week from performance leaders, coaches, and experts on the benefits of competition and how you can use it to win at work and in life. And now, your host, Chief Encouragement Officer at Compete Every Day, Jake Thompson. What's up, new week, and welcome to the Compete Every Day podcast, season two. I know I'm excited to be here, and I'm excited you are back for a brand new episode where we talk competition and how you can harness the power of competition to be better than yesterday. Today is a great episode as I get to welcome former NFL quarterback and current quarterback and quarterback coach, Coach Richard Bartell. That's right. He has transitioned from playing in the NFL to coaching and grooming upcoming quarterbacks to now transitioning to where he's working on coaching coaches. He's influencing the individuals that are impacting the guys that will play on the gridiron for years to come at the college or the pro level. I'm really excited. Rich and I have known each other for a number of years and And the guy has a competitive spirit. Actually, right before we got on the podcast, he had completed the day before an Ironman. And it was something he just signed up to do to see how far he could push himself physically and mentally. That's the kind of guy that's going to be on this show. But you would think some of those conversations, he would just be balls to the wall, incredibly intense. And he's not always that way. In fact, a lot of the conversation we have today is around youth sports, healthy competition, raising youth around healthy competition, and and what are some aspects going on right now in the sports space that greatly impact the rest of our lives? What are the benefits he sees? What are the negative aspects he sees? And, And honestly, how can we be better at pushing the positive and pulling the positive and suppressing the negative? So today's show is something incredibly unique. I think it's a lot of fun uh, conversation. It's something you're going to find value in. And if you do, I have a favor to ask. I've asked you a few times this season, and so it's one thing that I'm pretty passionate about is helping other people become competitors. You see, I believe it's my mission on this earth to help other people realize that they can become great competitors. And at this show, we're all about helping competitors find ways to be better than yesterday. This show, this episode with Rich is no different. And so if you have the opportunity, if you find value from this show, share it, shoot it in an email to a friend, post it on your Facebook page, share it on Instagram, on Twitter, wherever you want to, but share the episode. If you find value, if you don't find value, just click next. But if you do, Share it with a friend so that they can listen to the the conversation. They can listen to the episode. They can find value in it. And they can start learning how to be a competitor just like you. You see, you listen to this show because you want to be a great competitor. I believe you already are because you're committed to being better than yesterday. But there's a lot of people out there right now that don't. They don't know what it means to be a competitor. They don't really understand or have the desire yet to be better than yesterday. But it's within them. And your email, your push to invite them into this community to hear this message is something that could change their entire life trajectory. It sounds like I'm being incredibly dramatic, but think about that. All of our lives are impacted by crucial conversations, the introduction to new things, a book, an idea, something that impacts the course of who we are and who we have yet to become. 
And so you could be that individual that helps create more competitors in the world that are wanting to be better than yesterday, thus creating a better world for all of us. So if you love the episode, if you find value with the episode, please share it with just one friend. Now, let's get into the talk. We're going to talk football. We're going to talk youth sports. We're going to talk competition, healthy competition, unhealthy competition. What are things that you can do on a daily basis as an athlete or a non-athlete to focus on being better than you were the day before? And the concept end on empty comes back to play. So, without further ado, I am excited to welcome to the show, Richard Bartell. Rich, my man, how are you? Welcome to the show. Hey, Jake. I appreciate you having me, man. Dude, so we've gotten to know each other for a handful of years, uh, post-NFL days for you and, and into the quarterback training sector. Tell everyone listening a little bit about your background, and then, man, let's dive into the fun talk of competition. Yeah, so I've got kind of an eclectic background. Um, you know, born and raised from Texas. I think that's important to say because I'm a proud Texan. Uh, but multi-sport athlete my whole life. I uh, was a dual-sport professional athlete um, with the Reds organization in baseball and then uh, years in the NFL as a backup quarterback with various teams. Um, and then – I've moved in traditional coaching. I've been in the private coaching sector. I've been in the academy coaching sector at IMG Academy as director of quarterback development there. I've been a team chaplain for the Texas Rangers. I've been a youth pastor in church. Uh, and now I'm a director of business development and still in the private training sector, but now moving into private coach development and uh, in traditional coaching development in the quarterback world. So I'm kind of all over the map, man, but I'm always around sports. Dude, I love that. And so I'm intrigued by the uh, the coach development factor because you think about, you know, coaches need coaching and guidance as well. Um, and especially I feel like the quarterback industry as a whole has exploded over the last, man, 15 years. I know it's been since I've been out of school, but, you know, you have Bruce Feldman's book QB, you've got the Elite 11, you have everything popping up as well as some of these trainers trying to be celebrities in their own right to gain more attention. What kind of led you down the path of, of launching this new company to help coach coaches? That's a great question, dude. Um, and so, you know, as I look at the marketplace, I see an industry, particularly in coach in quarterback coaching, that is very, it's become very homogenous, very diluted. Um, and there's such a low barrier to entry into the profession. I mean, literally, as long as you got a website and you find a way, you know, for scheduling and payment solution, uh, if you have a kid, you can, you can train, you can charge a price and you train. And, you know, what it's done as I look at it is I just see environments that aren't necessarily generating performance. I see a lot of fake fundamentals. I see parents and kids, um, that are having a really hard time discerning between what's real and what's fake. And so I thought, you know, here's what I want to do. I don't necessarily want to, to point out everything that's wrong with it. What I want to do is I want to bring solutions to the table. And when I started thinking about, you know, becoming a differentiator in the marketplace, I thought, well, if I just stand in the streets and try to yell louder than everybody, you know, I'm not going to be necessarily any different than anybody else. And so I thought, you know, uh, what I've always loved about quarterback development is it's this inherent discipleship opportunity. If I impact one kid, that kid impacts a team. But then I started thinking further about, you know, the, the biggest problems, things I'm frustrated most about is 
um, you know, the accreditation or the development uh, or the certification processes of coaches in general, you know, and this could be in any sport. But when I think about, you know, people who are quantifiable or at least trained to standard, you know, I think of corporate executives, you know, they have coaches. You know, I think of LeBron James. LeBron James has a coach. I think of doctors. If doctors still operated today the same way they did eight years ago, they'd, they'd be in lawsuits. You know, they have to maintain uh, a standard. You know, teachers, you know, students in school, they're standardized tests. And so I thought, this is, this is what I want to bring to the coaching profession, you know. And so how can I create a professional approach to quarterback development and create environments that generate performance? And there's a lot of evidence-based things out there now that, that haven't always been the case in terms of, uh, you know, skills acquisition and constraints-led approach training and uh, the psychological readiness and resilience of training an athlete, um, self-talk, uh, you know, all these other things, creating kind of a world-class mental skills approach, progressive and systematic training and development on the continuum of periodization and how that fits in an off-season versus an in-season versus a post-season. And so I thought, you know, I don't necessarily just want to teach kids this. I want to teach coaches this. And, and then I can start to move the needle from what seems like aspects of a hobby into a real profession. And so that's what I want to do for, for quarterbacks and quarterback coaches in general. That's what led me down that path. Dude, I love that. And I love a lot of the things you hit on and in terms of the resilience and a lot of the mindset factors that – you know, when you're younger, you're not quite thinking about as much. You're you're focused on perhaps the skills and, and physically, you know, from a quarterback position, footwork, making the pass, getting stronger, all of that. Whereas, I mean, the mental side, the resilience is huge. And, and athletics, as we've talked about a little bit, you know, off-air texting, if the resilience you start to develop at an early age in sports and learning from losses, from adversity is is huge in the rest of your life. Um, can you tell us a little bit, do you mind sharing a little bit about some of the sports that perhaps you for, you know, your journey in college and, and in the NFL was, was anything but a smooth ride. It was a little tumultuous bouncing around and, and being, having to be able to constantly adapt to that situation. Can you talk a little bit about that and what perhaps playing younger did for you to help prepare you for that journey? Yeah, so um, that's interesting, man. I, you know, sport is certainly an aspect, and uh, in, in it's kind of a, I consider sport to be a lifetime sanctifier. You know, it's one of these things, as long as you compete, um, you know, it's much more than wins and losses, obviously, but, but everything revolving around sport, whether it be the preparation, uh, the performance, the evaluation, the debriefing afterwards, how you train, how you prepare, uh, retroactively being evaluated, all those things help, you know, constantly uh, trim the fat, you know, and help you get to the lean meat of who you want to become as an athlete. But I, I really think that's only an aspect of what helps develop resilience. You know, I, I think whenever you look at, at somebody, I think you've got to realize that there's a greater story there, you know, there's, and everybody's got one. And so when I look at a guy like a LeBron James, you know, people look at him and see the greatest athlete in the world, certainly, you know, one of the greatest basketball players ever to play the game. But when you look at his story, right, I mean, you see a kid that was raised by a single parent family. And uh, I think at any one point in his life, I think he moved 11 times uh, in one year. And, and so all those different experiences, you know, attribute to the character and the resilience uh, of, of that person. And I think everybody 
has those stories in their life. It's just a matter of how you responded to them. And they ultimately help make you who you become on the, on, you know, the field or the court or whatever that was. What I always loved about sport though, is, is this is what I knew. It was an outlet for me. You know, it wasn't somewhere that I went to go to prove who I was. It was somewhere I, I got to go escape who I was, you know? Um, and what I loved about it is I took all my circumstances when I stood on the mound, let's say, and I was pitching. And I realized that once we got between the lines, it didn't matter who you were, socioeconomically, demographically, single parent household, two parents, dude, I'm going to match you pound for pound. All the rules and regulations keep us accountable here. And we're all on the same, like, you can't escape me today. You know, you might go to your 10,000 square foot house when we leave this field, but for the next two hours, you're mine. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, uh, that's kind of the way I approached sport for a really long time uh, that I remember as a youth. That was one of my motivating factors. Uh, that's not necessarily everybody's, but that was mine. That's part of my story. I love that, man. And so a lot of these athletes that you have had the opportunity to work for since you started coaching quarterbacks, you know, what have you seen in youth athletes today that might be a little bit different than when you were growing up? Have you seen a change in terms of things you experienced, part of the process you went through that maybe these middle school, high school kids are going through differently now and how the sports changed? Yeah, landscapes dramatically changed in youth sport, you know, development. And, you know, I have a really unique story in that both my parents were, were multi-sport athletes, you know, amateur and professionally. And so my genes were a little bit different, uh, obviously, you know, but even the way that I was indoctrinated in sport, you know, because my parents really believed in multiple experiences and various experiences to help develop those fundamental motor skills um, and coordination, balance, agility, you know, and then ultimately fundamental sports skills and then ultimately specific sports skills. And it just kind of progressed from there on this continuum of what was long-term athlete development. Now, they didn't know that. That was just the way that they were raised, and it worked out for them. And so they they kind of, you know, I, I was baptized in sport that way. Now, looking back on my journey and comparing it to the way kids are today, it's completely changed. You know, we see a lot of sports specialization. We see a lot of adultification and professionalization of youth sports at early ages. It's not abnormal now to see kids recreationally get involved at the age of five to six, and by the time they're seven, they're already either specializing or they're being put in these really extrinsic motivating um, leagues and select clubs and tryouts. And to me, all that stuff is just crazy because uh, what doesn't exist today, what did in my generation, I'm not that old, but it's changed this quickly is the idea of free play. You know, the idea of um, sports sampling, the idea of participating and just having fun, you know, like just playing the play. Um, and what you realize is when you take all those things out of sport and you adultify it and you professionalize it and you talent identify it, you know, you end up really bifurcating sports and you end up pushing kids away. And we know this now. I mean, this is not theory anymore. There's 36,250,000 kids that participate in youth sports and organized team sports from the ages of five to 18. Okay. Uh, but by the time they're 13, 25 million, 70% of those kids will walk away from sport altogether for the rest of their life. Not for a little bit, dude, forever. And we know all the collateral damage that comes with sedentary lifestyles, whether it be 
you know, adulthood obesity, childhood obesity. It could be just performance in the workplace, the, the ability to work with teammates. Um, it's, it's really endless, all, all the collateral damage from these statistics. And so, um, you know, while I, I love the idea of competition, you know, competition, specialization, extrinsic motivating factors and pressures, scores, um, evaluations and assessment, selection, uh, all those things live on a continuum, okay? And, and so they eventually happen, but they don't need to happen young. They don't need to happen young. Dude, I mean, you hit on some some major key points that, you know, I recently have made a few posts on Facebook regarding youth sports and and set off a ton of comments about, you know, some parents talking about the inability financially to have their kid play more than one sport um, as they're getting a little bit older because of the cost. But, I mean, you, you talked about all the kids dropping out. I mean, the youth participation rates plummet. And obviously the inactivity and obesity rates are dramatically increasing. Uh, And people would think, well, you know, that some people aren't meant to play sports or this or that, but just the fun youth aspect has so many benefits that you already mentioned of teamwork and things that will play out professionally. Not to mention, if we talk about your sport, what is it? 59 of the last 64 first round picks were multi-sport athletes. Like they didn't, they were playing multiple sports in high school, which should resonate that from a coaching standpoint, I would think that you would want to work with guys that have played multiple sports because they're going to have to learn different skill sets for each sport, as well as different team dynamics. Just so, like if you're so changing. That's a great point. And, and I tend to see it just a little bit differently. You know, I don't think that the answer is specialization or multi-sport. You know, if you look at uh, long-term athlete development, which is a concept that was developed by Isfahan Bali, okay, um, uh, American youth sports model is built on this triangle, okay? And so you start with a broad-based recreational sport, but then it quickly advances up the triangle to selection, and then from there it moves into this specialization, and then from there towards the top end, the peak of the triangle, it turns into, you know, really to, you know, your national, your professionalized sports teams. And the problem with that triangle is that, you know, uh, it, it ends up pushing kids out. Um, you know, the, the base is at the top is not near as broad as the base at the bottom. And so um, what we need is a model that is more like a rectangle, you know, that um, is recreationally very broad, but we maintain those kids all the way to the top of the rectangle. And so now the selection at the professional level is as broad. Um, and has as much volume as that did in the youth sport level. But we're finding ways to, to kick kids out instead of, you know, maintain this inclusivity. It's become very exclusive. But, you know, another issue is, you know, if you look at individual sports, okay, the gymnastics, the tennis, golf, um, swimming, diving, you know, those are what they would call early specialization sports. So, you know, the, the track for those kids is different. Okay. They don't, they don't need to necessarily be multi-sport athletes because those kids in those sports peak at younger ages and sooner professionally. And so if you want to be a, if your goal and dream is to be, you know, Michael Phelps, man, by the time you're seven, eight, nine, you, you probably do want to hone in a little bit. I'm not saying that you don't play other sports early and you sample, but by the time you're 10, 11, 12, like you, you need to be dialed in. But that's okay for those sports. And those kids shouldn't be reprimanded for specializing. 
right? But generally speaking, team sports, okay, baseball, football, basketball, soccer, you know, soccer is kind of uniquely different too because fundamentally in terms of coordination, agility, balance, it offers the most for holistic athletic development. So you could actually just stay in the soccer vein and be just fine athletically. But in every other sport, you know, there's aspects of of those sports that you don't get. It's You know, baseball is very linear. And so, yes, if I want to become more athletic, it would help me to participate in other sports. But multi-sport isn't just the answer for everybody. Let's say you get a kid. You know, I've got a daughter, okay, my eight-year-old. If she just wants to play basketball, do I make her play other sports because multi-sport is the way to go and she hates it? No, I would never do that. So it becomes incumbent upon the coach of those particular sports to develop holistic athletic development programs on their continuums of sports-specific skills so that they are developing athletes that play basketball, not just basketball players. Does that make sense? No, that makes 100% sense. There's a lot of ways to get to that. You can skin it multiple ways, but I don't think that the answer is multi-sport only or sport specifics only. It's, I mean, a lot of it sounds like having qualified high school youth coaches that are aware of how to best develop those players to set those people up for success throughout their life. Not necessarily just what they can do best in that moment. Does that, I mean, so is that right? You're dead on Jake. And so let me give you a couple statistics to help back up how smart you are with that statement. Okay. So 32% of youth sports coaches receive specific training in general safety, injury prevention, 31% in sports skills and tactics, only 30% in concussion management, only 28% know how to physically condition their athletes. Only 29% are qualified in CPR, basic first aid, and only 30% understand effective motivational techniques with kids. None of those, think about that, none of those are above 33% of all youth sports coaches receiving specific training in any one of those given areas. So what is the experience like in youth sports? It's freaking nuts. You know, you're, you're essentially being coached by uh, upper middle class white males who know nothing about their sport. I mean, that's generally speaking the best way to put it. You know, statistically, by gender and demographics, that's what the stats say. You know, and so we really need a bass-ackwards approach to youth sports. You know, right now, the quote-unquote best coaches you get are at the highest levels. We need to do a better job of providing inclusive environments for every gender and demographics you know, and not just participants, but also coaches, we need to get more female coaches involved. And we need to have coaches involved who are from um, even lower income uh, socioeconomics uh, households and incomes because, dude, these help create the more holistic environment for these athletes. Dude, everybody deserves an opportunity to coach and everybody deserves an opportunity to play early. It's very important. It's vital to our American development model. But at the same time, you've—it's just like you can't walk into certain professions and fields unless you've been trained properly. And having That's only exactly in the thirty percent right. is is unreal. And you know, one of the threads I talked about the advantages of youth sports. I had a guy comment about we we got in a conversation about participation trophies, and 
and he made the comment that you know he he's not for the giving everyone a trophy because we need to learn how to develop skills and deal with adversity but he talked about he had a poor experience growing up um, and it, with a coach and that coach pretty much set course that he was done with sports forever because the coach didn't understand how to work with kids or motivate them. And and there were a number apparently that walked away from that, from that experience. And I think that happens with uh, many coach or many youth, especially if we've got almost 70% of coaches unqualified or at least untrained to do that, even though they might have that willing spirit. Have you, to, to jump back briefly, when you talked about the rectangle model, the ideal rectangle model, have you seen any organizations, nonprofits, movements that have tried or are trying to create more of that? Um, or is that just a gap in the in the market now that you see a need for, but no one's really been able to step up and, and figure out a way or a solution to start moving forward on it? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. So, um I, I see a need. Um, I think there's a league out there and there's, there's a few grassroots leagues. I think there's parents that are, you know, quote unquote fed up. They're trying to do their own thing, but people who try to necessarily start, um, you know, doing something at the grassroots level uh, to create a better alternative. They typically only, you know, they only live in one sport. They don't necessarily create a multi-sport experience. Um, now I nine sports based out of Tampa, um, you know, they kind of have a model that's, at the other end of the spectrum. Um, but it's really based around fun and convenience and I'm all for the fun. Um, but I think convenience is not necessarily something that I'm into. I'm still into the intentionality and the purposefulness of, of developing athletes the right way in a long-term athlete development model. And so I think all that comes with very intentional curriculum and, pro- and programming towards physical literacy, um, towards fundamental movement skills, and then ultimately towards sports specific skills and then sports specialization. And so, um, you know, there is not anybody out there doing that right now. It's very hard to do. Now, it's very countercultural. Um, cost is always an issue. You know, I think finding a happy medium to where you can be inclusive, yet um, you still provide quality. Because right now in the marketplace, I think if you ask any parent, the biggest differentiating factor between the direct league and the select league and, and why parents go that route quicker is not necessarily because they feel like their kids need to compete more. Although I, I think that is, you know, a lot of parents, I think that's somewhere on their priority list. Um, but I think it's, it's the coaching, you know, I think right now the select club, it just does. It offers better coaching opportunities because they charge more and those coaches tend to get a little something extra, uh, you know, to volunteer their time. And so, you know, in my opinion, the rec leagues, the, the Boys and Girls Club of America, the YMCAs, you know, I hate that this happens, but 501Cs just have such a reputation of, of having the heart but lacking the substance, you know. And so uh, that needs to be developed, and it does not exist today. Man, uh, that's, that's unfortunate. And, and hopefully someone out there is working on it or perhaps someone listening gets a little bit motivated to – to do something. So uh, one of the things that we texted about last night that I know was a little bit of a, is an interesting topic for a lot of people these days is the participation trophies. And we talked about the fun and, and youth having fun in, in sports just to develop the skill sets from that uh, experience. And even at youth soccer and, and movement up the chain, 
at what point do you feel like there should be a line drawn for there is a winner and there is a loser and and you learn as a loser from losing the game that one you're not a loser but two here's what needs to be done in order to win the game next time instead of giving them the identity of a winner and a loser but you won this game or you lost this game and here's what you can learn from yeah and so yes i I do think that there's i think trophies in general you know they all convey kind of an inaccurate and potentially really dangerous life message for children Uh, obviously we're not all winners um you know that's part of life um but i do think that there's ways uh that you can celebrate people with words uh you know the pats on the back go a long way words of affirmation encouragement go a long way uh for winners and losers you know and and ultimately that piece of hardware doesn't necessarily make or break me you know i've always believed that you know sport is is what you do it's not necessarily who you are you know and i i think the older i've gotten the more i've realized that that was kind of a I don't know that I totally believe it as much as I used to because I look at all the benefits that sport has brought me in life. It certainly has given me an identity. It's given me platform. Uh, it provided a free education. Uh, it's how I met my wife, which ultimately gave me my kids. And then it also provided me on the back end after my career an opportunity to reinvest and and kind of expose these other qualities and passions I have for coaching and teaching. And so uh, sport is certainly an aspect of who I am as well as what I do. but uh you know i i think i think the earlier that they are you know there should be ratios for competition and practice okay uh i don't think that you know six seven eight year olds need to be out competing and keeping score um necessarily at all times and and rewarded for all the extrinsic motivating factors that somebody that's 17, 18, 19, 20, 21 experiences. You know, I, I, I don't think it's about that. You know, I think it's about at those levels, it's about fun. It's about um, uh, relationship. I think it's about learning the game. I think it's about building your athletic foundation. And so, you know, the Aspen Institute, they did a, uh, a survey. You could find this on Alex Flanagan's blog. Um, I forget what her blog is called, but her name is Alex Flanagan. She's also an analyst, sports analyst for Fox. Um, but they took a poll of kids in youth sports and of the top hundred reason why kids participate in youth sports, winning was number 79. Um, and so, uh, it wasn't even a priority to them. You know, now adults think that the competitiveness and playing to win and trophies is why you play. Uh, but it's not, you know, and I would argue that to the death. I really would, you know, I, I think it sounds good, you know, I'll get him involved, let's play to compete because they're going to need this in life. But hey, look, dude, the, the eight-year-old, his priority list when he's on the field is is fun. When is halftime so I can get that high C and orange juice? And after this thing, am I going to get ice cream or am I not going to get ice cream? You know, and is, is the love of my parents uh, contingent upon whether or not I scored a goal today or not? You know, like... Let's really think about those things, you know, and and just save the adult talk for, for that time. It's going to come soon enough, dude. I would ask you, so I'll, I want to ask you a question. I know everyone parents differently, but I'm really interested in your thoughts as both a parent, a coach, and someone as a professional athlete. 
what are some things that you try to instill and do with your kids so that they enjoy the activities or sports that they're partaking in, but they have a little bit of that inner drive or you encourage that inner drive to improve upon what they've done. Does that make sense? Not kind of resting on your laurels, but just that, that striving to do better in a way that encourages and spurs them onward versus the negative. You could have done better. You should have done better approach. Yeah, great question there too, Jay. And I, and I know I'm very aware of your brand compete every day, so I know that this has to be an aspect of, of what we talk about here. Um, look, you know, uh, I used to have an uncle who was a Golden Glove boxer, okay? And I used to think that because he was, all he wanted to do was fight. And in fact, I thought that when he got into contentious situations, he would go from zero to 60 and say, you know what, let's just fight because he could end it, right? He could end it right now. Um, but the older I got and the more I talked to him, what I realized is because he had been in the ring and he had taken and given punches, uh, he was actually as laid back and as resolute a person as I'd ever met. And in fact, he didn't believe that fighting was the way to go. In fact, he, he thought, man, if if we can solve it a million different ways, let's do it before we actually punch each other. And I found that to be really profound. Um, and so what I've realized, even as a professional athlete or former, my wife was a college athlete, as competitive as I am, you know, uh, I am way more relaxed with my kids and very patient with them. Number one, because I've learned a lot of lessons along the way. Two, I'm educating myself in long-term athlete development and what's really beneficial for our kids. And so we're very conscious to say, uh, I love to watch you play. Like, that's a phrase that we say and we say it often. I just love to watch you play. That's what I want them to get out of this. My greatest concern for my oldest daughter right now participating in sport is not her performance. It's that she comes back to it again. Like, I just want her to participate again next year. That's the goal. And so we introduce sport to her. We recommend it. Um, She's not allowed to say, no, I don't want to do it. She has to at least sample it. And at the end of that sampling, if she says, you know, I just really didn't like it, great. We don't ever have to come back to it again. But it's kind of like eating vegetables. Like you don't have the choice to not, to not try it. You got to try it. Um, but then as she goes down the road, you know, if she chooses uh, to want to, to play in one or the other, then great. We'll support her in that. Now, what we do around the house with her and the younger ones, dude, we force them to get outside. Okay. We force them to play free play is an aspect of their lifestyle. I'll set up, uh, I'll set up courses in the backyard for them to do. We'll time them, uh, and just keep it fun. But physical activity and literacy is an aspect of our lifestyle, you know, and right now what we talk about in terms of the competitiveness is doing things to the best of your ability. And it's important. And here's why it's important. Okay. Uh, it's not important that you beat somebody else. It's important that you go as hard as you can go. Why? Because really that becomes, uh, I really think Jake, what you're getting into is, is, is broader for us and deeper for us more than just sport. We talk about, uh, you know, conforming ourselves to the character of who Christ is and, you know, and that character and conforming yourself to that character is about holiness. Well, what is holiness? Holiness is, you know, it's about an obedience 
to a God that we serve. And so if we're going to be obedient, then we need to do things that glorify the Lord. Well, how do we do that? In every aspect of our life, this is what we're striving for. We're striving to push ourselves to the potential of who God made us to be in sport, in our education, in the way that we honor another, uh, one another and our siblings, the way that we respect our parents. You know, and so I don't mean to berate uh, other points or bring religion into this, but I really think, dude, when we talk about getting the most of our competitive nature, Dude, that's, that's not mutually exclusive of, of the perspective in which we see everything, which is, hey, dude, we're going to do the things best of our ability, not because we want to compete, but because that's who Christ has called us to be, period. Awesome, Rich, man. I appreciate very much you taking the time to share that. I think there's there's so much wisdom from what we talked about today that you shared that listeners that are parents, listeners that that are athletes, that um, or working toward things have and can take and apply to their life. Um, so this has been awesome, man. If people want to connect with you first, I'm going to tell them, I'm just going to go ahead and tell them they've got to follow you on Twitter because the stuff you're putting out is awesome. And all the videos that I've noticed you putting out more and more are great uh, for not only quarterbacks and players, but coaches and parents that have to follow. Is that the best place is Twitter at Coach Rich Bartell, the best place for people to follow and connect with all that you're doing? Or what website, where where else would you send people? Yeah, that would be the best place. And I'll have a link to my site um, here within a month uh, that can direct people to me personally. But um, I have access to direct messages there on Twitter as well. So I'm, I'm pretty accessible. Dude, I love this. Thank you for taking time this morning to talk competition, life, youth sports. Man, it's been a lot of fun catching up. Hey, thank you so much for having me, Jake. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Compete Every Day podcast. To learn more, visit CompeteEveryDay.com. To connect with Jake or contact the show, email us at podcast at CompeteEveryDay.com. And as always, keep competing every day to be better than you were yesterday.